This is episode number four of Tap Into College Golf. This episode, I chat with Auburn women's head golf coach, Melissa Llewellyn, to hear all about her coaching journey and how she ended up taking over the Auburn women's golf program. Please bear in mind, this uh, sound quality might not be as good as other episodes because Coach Llewellyn was sitting out on her back porch, enjoying the cool morning with her dog, and who was I to tell her she could not do that? Uh, So ran into some background noise and some issues, but it was a great conversation I had with her, so I hope you will um, stick around and listen in as she shares. You're listening to the Tap into College Golf podcast, where we provide an inside look at the world of college golf. College recruiting consultant Brandi Jackson shares her knowledge of college recruiting, plus interviews with some of the most accomplished coaches and players in college golf. If you are ready to tap into the best tips, stories, and insight, then you've come to the right place. Here's your host, Brandi Jackson. All right, welcome to this episode of Tap Into College Golf. Uh, Super excited to have Coach Melissa Llewellyn here from Auburn Women's Golf Program and have her join me this week to chat about their season and how they just wrapped up their their finish at NCAA Nationals not too long ago and what led up to, you know, them having um, a good good go at the title during, um, during that time and just her coaching journey, um, being there at Auburn and, and just how, um, how she's ended up there and learn a little bit about her and her life and journey through all of that. So really excited to have you on here and thanks for joining. Thank you very much, Brandy. Happy to be here. All right. Well, first, um, just like to give everybody a little bit of insight on what's led you, you know, your a little bit after playing and coaching background, um, just finished your fourth season at Auburn. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. Fourth, fourth season at Auburn and 19th year of coaching. Okay, and so right, uh, you were at Arizona State for 13 years before coming to Auburn, is that right? That's, that's correct. All right, and then let's see, you had a couple years, you were the assistant, was that, were you assistant to your mom when you were at Tulsa, was that right? No, I was, <laughs> my mom retired and I became okay. the head coach, so I never, okay, I never was an assistant that's, coach. That's right, that's right, I do, I had that written down there, I had um, I think I was going back and thinking about um, Missy, your assistant at Arizona State, who's now the head coach there at Arizona. Um, after you left Arizona State, is that right? In that that whole transition, correct, correct. Okay, yep. Also, yep. trying yep. to get that's caught that's up on all that. Awesome. Um, so yeah, so you, but you played for your mom though, isn't that right? I did. I uh, made that made that call and uh, was recruited by a lot of top schools unfortunately, and I was on my recruiting trip to Stanford, and the Tulsa team, coached by my mom, was playing with Stanford, and one really hard for three that anyone that's playing there, number 14, um, pretty tough hole, and four out of the five Tulsa players made birdie, and I knew right then and there where my heart was, so I chose to stay at home and play college golf for my mom. Okay, very cool. Um, we'll maybe talk a little bit about that just as we chat a little bit about coach-player relationship. I'm sure that was a little bit of a of a unique one there. Um, well, yeah. now that you know you're there and you've been there at Auburn for four years, tell a little bit about um, 
uh, you know, y'all season this past year, and I know, like I said, you finished on a really high note, made it to the semifinals, and um, I know the run y'all had against Texas, um, coming back from everybody being down by three and four and in such a good comeback to get into the semifinals. What was that week and that experience like, um, you know, with the girls and, and that uh, just, you know, really good finish there? Well, thank you very much. I mean, I'm extremely proud of our young ladies for um, making it to the final four and having, you know, just the grit and determination to keep pushing through challenges. Um, you know, we, we worked all year on mental toughness, uh, mental training, and with, with Bill Nelson, he was been a great asset to our program. Um, and our girls really, really bought in. Um, and I think that's probably what helped push us through because it was, I mean, if we did a timeline of how many delays and how many early starts and restarts and have to come back and finish and um, just really functioning on not very much sleep, uh, you know, the girls, all, you know, we look back and we're doing our end of season meetings now and they're like, that was no normal tournament like I've ever played in. I'm and sure. I'm like, that is no normal tournament like I've ever coached in. And so certainly a lot for us to learn from. Um, but gosh, you know, they just kept pushing through and uh, it's, I'm just so proud of them. Yeah, I'm sure. And it's like you said, that, um, you know, that mental toughness of a week like that. Yes, it is a lot of physical ability to be able to, you know, do it on a little bit of sleep and to just go from starting and stopping. But I know that week had to be a big mental grind. Like I said, especially that day, you know, being down to Texas, it probably would have been really easy to just say, you know, it's been good. We made it here. Um, but sounds like you were able to kind of rally them together and, and get those comebacks and, and turn those matches around. Like I said, I was watching it earlier in the day and I had to go be somewhere and, um, and knew that Texas was up by a good bit and then went to check later on and all of a sudden saw that y'all were in the semifinals. And I was like, that was a little bit of a change and went back in and kind of read <laughs> how that happened. That was pretty exciting to see that. I love match play. Um, I had a, the, the, to get into the finals of the U.S. Women's Am, I was down by three with three holes to go. And uh, so I will always love to see, I mean, anybody loves to see that happen, but have a very, very special place for the ones who, you know, who can do that being down by three and four and not give up and you just never know when somebody else might mentally wear out or physically wear out and you just never know that's what happened in the case with me and actually the ironically the girl that I beat was an Auburn player she ended up going on to, to play at Auburn back um uh, uh Martinez Maru Martinez um yes yes a long time ago but that was who I ended up beating in the semifinals to get into the finals and she had me three down with three to go um, at the the women's am and came back and and knocked her off in the first whole playoff. Well, I said, all right, congratulations on that. That's a memory. <laughs> that's a memory that you will always keep and cherish. Remember what it took to like dig deep, and that yes, a memory that our players will always remember and how they were able to dig deep. I mean, match play brings out just so many emotions, and so you know, it's, it's just a roller coaster, and and I really have to give credit to the SEC conference for the 14 coaches in our conference who 100% voted in favor of our conference championship moving from the combinations. It's a pattern much like the NCAA championship to go from stroke play portion and then have a match start portion. I think that experience, I really feel like our team drew on that experience 
So, you know, once we got into match play, it's like, we just did this a couple of weeks ago. So True. it was very familiar. It wasn't something that was like a shock, like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden we have to change things. Um, so I really have to give my, you know, our coaching peers in the SEC kudos for, and Greystone for, you know, giving up their course for, you know, another day. Um, and yeah, it's a long leap, but at the end of the day, we're trying to win championships. And I think that our conference is really putting us in a great position to do that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I actually saw, I think it was uh, Lance Ringler was bringing it up and there'd been some debate about the fact that, you know, the championship is a totally different format than what you're playing through most of the year. And I know there's a lot of debate going on about changing fall season, spring season, and whether or not that all happens. But it sounds like, like I said, SEC has done a good job to, to adapt to that because that's what the national championship is. And, and now you've got to, you know, adjust. Cause like I said, match play is, especially in a team environment, match play, it's such a different experience because, you know, it's so easy to, know that your other teammate, you may be winning a match and, and the other teammates are down and, and then you kind of start to give up a little bit without knowing what's really going on. There's just so many things to kind of factor in and so much more emotion because it's so live in action. It's not the once you all get in and the scores are counted, you know, it's a little bit different. It is anything can change just literally in a heartbeat. So having that preparation for SECs, I'm sure, helped a lot. No, I just, I think it's, I mean, and not only just the match play portion, but just the, the nerves and understanding of what does it take to get in the top eight. Even yeah. at the SEC level, I mean, our, our conference is so strong that, you know, we're, we, we couldn't coast going into that last day and, and try to make the top eight. And just to give our players the experience of having that feeling, and they're going to get that feeling at regionals, and they're going to get that feeling at nationals. So, you know, just trying to recreate those situations is really difficult, but our conference championship has been able to that to happen. Yeah, that's it's very true. That's uh, a lot to say about the SEC there and, and what they're doing and um, and just how you've got to just change and adapt and, and learn how to, you know, to kind of not necessarily come up with the times because it's not something necessarily that new and inventive, but just for the fact that trying to make TV, you know, I know a lot of it comes down to the TV side of how exciting it's been, which they 100% have gotten their money's worth, I guess, in a way over the last few years of doing it with the coverage and how close it's come down to the end and how exciting it's been. It's kind of proof that, um, you know, that bigger picture of the excitement for the TV and, kind of some of the reasons for doing that and then just learning how to adjust to that so you know to be more prepared I, I mean I remember when you know the NCAA basically had we had the opportunity with the golf channel to televise the women's game as long as it was a match play and you know Carol Reap just got a whole heap of challenges and negative comments from coaches and nobody wanted to change the match play because of are doing it, shouldn't women be doing it, why are we doing this? And and I was it was a meeting at USU Girls and it was um, not pleasant for the golf channel, it's not pleasant for the use of play. But now you hindsight twenty twenty and I mean all of the things I really appreciate Carol Reed for standing for what she believed in and this would help promote the, the women's game and, and collegiate golf. And it absolutely has. I mean, my husband was, um, was was downstairs at the hotel and talked with a couple of golf channel guys that were, were working the, the tournament. And they said that the ratings for the women's championship are 
absolutely through the roof. They, I mean, the golf channel, they just couldn't be happier. I mean, we kind of have now this reputation that our finals, our match play is so exciting. Um, it has been every single year. It, 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 all the way down to the finals, it's always just it, exciting and people love watching it. Yeah, which is great to hear, especially with some of, um, not trying to get into controversy or debate about it, but with what's going on recently with a little bit of knock on the women's golf game and, and that kind of thing, that it's great to hear that because I think so many people know that and, and see that, but to have it a little more mainstream and to give the credit between that and back to the Augusta National Amateur and, you know, mm -hmm. so much, I think, just credibility and exposure going to women's golf amateur and professional that it's great to hear that that you know while we see it or we know that obviously it's people in the business but to know that as a whole with the the media side of things how much it's showing on their end too because obviously they need to to know it you know from a financial investment side of things too so that's good to know i, I mean it's just been so exciting to see the explosion of of women's golf and the and the respect that the majority have for our game um but I also think that anyone that plays golf at any level understands how difficult it is. Yes. And when, you know, if you, you can be a professional golfer and play with a beginner and it reminds you of how difficult this game really is. Yes. And, yes. you know, so I think that, um, I think anyone that plays the game has ultimate respect. And sometimes, you know, when you're, I know what you're referring to, you're doing the radio show and you're trying to fill time and, you know, sometimes controversy draws in viewership um, yes. or listenership. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, anyone that plays this hard game respects the etiquette that it requires and and respects the, the time and the effort that everyone puts into the game. Yes, yes, I agree. One of the guys that trains me and coaches me um, from a, a strength and conditioning side of things has just kind of picked up the golf bug lately. And so he'll be in there swinging one of the, the dowel rides and, and asking me questions, even though I don't, you know, obviously teach golf swing. Um, he'll be doing that and just to see his kind of excitement for it, but yet how hard it is to just make contact to make the golf ball go where you want to. And then we start talking about technical terms and it's just funny to see to, to, like you said, to have that appreciation for somebody starting out and how hard this game really is um, and how hard it is to to know kind of how it feels easy at this point for somebody who's been playing for so, for so long, but have such an appreciation for, like said, for how hard it is. It goes both ways. Well, the other way you can – the other way you can get appreciation is if you're right-handed, just trying to play left-handed. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yes. You know, it's very you're true. You're like, oh, wow, this is hard. Yes. Yeah. I hit when Top Golf opened up here in Greenville. I did that um, when we were up there messing around. And yeah, you stand over it and you think, all right, this feels, feels okay. And then you go to swing and it's just such an awkward feeling. And yes, that is a good way to get what it feels like to be a, a beginner and, and just, you know, just, it just makes no sense why you can't do what you're thinking in your head you want it to do and why your body, just, you know, you think you're doing it and then it just doesn't work. So yeah, um, crazy feeling. It is, yes. Well, um, you know, a little bit about that. Tell me, I know that, um, I know you played for a while coming out of college and, um, you know, had um, some pretty good success playing um, professionally and everything. What made you change into getting into coaching? Was there anything, did it just naturally happen or was it something you'd always wanted to do? What got you into um, college coaching back then? Great question. Um, you know, I was uh, 
in year 13 of professional golf. Actually, yeah, 13. And my 11th year on the LPGA. And I had one twice and had, you know, number of years of exemptions. And, you know, then I went back to Q school once or twice and regained my status. And, you know, so I mean, I was, I had a career and I was, Beginning of the year, my final year on tour, I was living in Arizona, and in February, I was packing up my, my bags and flying from Phoenix to Glendale, California, for a Monday qualifier. And it was the very first first one of the year, and I'm like, what am I doing? I've been out here for 10 years. I've been working my tail off. Um, I've had some, some physical challenges, my back, my feet, my feet are still horrible, but, um, you know, it's like, gosh, I put so much time and effort and here I am back on the road. And I just, it really hit me as I was pulling my, my bag through my bags through the Glendale airport. I'm like, this, I, this isn't where I saw myself after yeah. this many years. And it, I obviously did not make that Monday qualifier, played horrible. My mind wasn't in a very good place. And my mom and the Tulsa team, and my dad actually was, was there as well, were just down the road in Palos Verdes at the Northrop Grumman tournament. So I, you know, did Monday qualify. I had a few days just to hang out before the next Monday qualifier and drove down there. And I just I sat in the hotel room with my mom and my dad. I'm like, I don't, I can't do this. I mean, I've got status, but, you know, I don't know what terms I'm going to get into and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I just, I don't know that my heart's in it anymore. And so my mom said, well, I've actually been thinking about this for a while. She goes, I'm ready to retire. And I think that you should, you would be a great coach. And I had never thought about coaching. Yeah. I got my degree in marketing. I thought I would get into sales of some sort, but when you're 34 years old mm -hmm. and you've never had a real job, you know, I mean, being an athlete is a real job, but I mean, as far as being in corporate yeah. America, that kind of stuff, um, I had no experience, absolutely frightening. Uh, what was I going to do? And so I said, you know, I'll, I'll think about it. And I interviewed with, uh, the athletic director at the time at University of Tulsa with no coaching experience, just golf experience alone. And I've been apart from college golf for 13 years. I re really had my career. My mom was doing her thing. And we didn't really connect very much on it. You know, just ask how the team was doing. But other than that, I had really was very far away from it. Yeah. And so the AD hired me as a head coach from like, Oh my goodness, what is what just happened? <laughs> <What'd I do? laughs> and but ironically, um, you know, I I wasn't gonna start the position until August first. I still had some tournaments that I could play in and you know, at this point I'm like, Hey, I'm gonna have a, a job and amazing how good I played um yeah. that summer. And all the pressure was off. I I kind of that, that care less type of attitude freed me up and I'm like oh boy now do I want to keep playing or do I want to you know but I, I made the decision like you know what this is this is my path and this is my future so I'm like you know I'll give it a try for a couple of years and see what it's like 
And taking over your mother's program uh, is a lot of pressure. I'm and sure. she left me with a very, very talented group. We, I think we ended the year like number three in the country. Um, but I could tell that I just, it, it, I, my inexperience, I felt was probably hurting the program. And I was like, I don't know if I can stay in this coaching thing. I don't know if I can single-handedly be the blame to, you know, Pulse has been at the top for so long that if I brought the program down, that'd be pretty tough to live with. Uh-huh. And um, so I didn't even know if I wanted to stay in coaching. And then Arizona State had called. They were going through a transition in their program. When Coach Wilson had this terrible off-court accident, broke her leg in like four places, uh, decided that she physically couldn't do it any longer. Um, they called me. I was in the, you know, coaching for nine months, and I, I declined. I declined an interview. I declined the opportunity. Um, they hired the men's assistant coach to be the coach. A year later, that didn't work out so well. Uh, he was let go, and I got a call again. And now I've now I've got a year a year and a half of experience, and so I. I've gotten engaged, um, a lot of life-changing things, and then I was going to be out in Arizona for a recruiting trip, and they just really kind of hounded me to just come for an interview. Yeah. And I mean, I was like renovating my house. I mean, like I was settled in Tulsa, and uh, so they, I said, okay, all right, I'll just come for an interview, and then uh, they. Flew my fiance out, now my husband, and rolled out the red carpet and nice. kind of made me an offer that was really tough to refuse. Nice. And my mom, my mom was extremely supportive and uh, was difficult. You know, leave my alma mater, my mom's program, and go to a different program. Um, the program was kind of reeling. They were ranked about 45th at the time, which for Arizona State is kind of like unheard of. Yes. Um, yes. And so when I hired Missy, she and I together, um, we built that program back up to national prominence. Fast yeah, forward to during your time, we won a championship in, in 2009, which now it's like gosh looking back it felt like yesterday and it's been quite a while <laughs> 10 years yeah. 10 years and amazing how fast the time flies but yes, yes. you know a lot of a lot of great championship appearances consistency um all americans tournament wins player of the year i mean just such a great experience there being able to build that program back up and seeing success sure. was very rewarding and then uh Four years ago, um, a call from Kim Evans, Coach Kim Evans, who was a longtime coach at Auburn. And she had fallen ill with ovarian cancer, and nobody really, she decided that she was going to retire. Um, and she had called me and said, Hey, do you, we're, we're doing a national search, and we want to make sure we're covering all our bases. Are there any coaches out west? because you know them better than, than we do as far as being in that region. Yeah. Is there anyone that we're, you know, missing? And I said, you know, I named a couple names and 
she said, well, what about you? And I'm like, huh, what about me? I'm like, I'm, I'm doing good, you know? Doing good, yeah. And, and then she actually started to talk a little bit more, and then I got a call from the assistant AD, and um, there were some things that, at ASU that, you know, I'm like, it, it was nice to be wanted and have interest. And so I was like, you know what? I talked to my husband. I'm like, let's, let's go check it out. And, you know, and it was just a time that um, they announced that they were going to close the Carson Golf Course. Um, you know, that was, a, I, that was a tough tough one to swallow. I mean, I've known about it for a long time, but the plans were not very concrete as to what was going to happen with practice facility and you know it's such an advantage to have a you know a university owned practice facility is such yes. a great thing to have um it, it just there was a, a lot of time and um fundraising that needed to be done to do the things that i felt were very important for for the golf program Mm -hmm. And uh, Auburn offered things that allowed me to coach and recruit and not have as much pressure to fundraise. Okay. And, you know, that was kind of a tipping point. You know, I was nearing age 50. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, if anyone has been around that time, you're, I don't know if it's a midlife crisis or wondering, like, what's really important to me. And um, my husband and I have been able to spend a lot more time together. Um, you know, being a coach, you travel and you're gone a lot. And I have an amazing husband who totally supports me on it, but you know, we also can get spend a ton of time together. And with you know, just the logistics of getting around Arizona and Phoenix, major city. Um, I mean, here in Auburn, I live one mile from the practice facility. I live one mile from the athletics department. Um, it takes me five minutes to get to work versus an hour. So, I mean, just a lot of different factors and. I've been at a small private school. I've been at the largest public institution with 80,000 plus students, and now I'm in a college town. So just, I guess, you know, life brings you changes, and maybe 13 years is my button. You know, it's like 13 years on tour, made a change. 13 years at ASU, make a change. Maybe that is, 13 yeah. years yeah, well, from now. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> probably retire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is. It's somebody, even what you talk about with this is, I think it's a little bit of what you talk about with finding a good fit for, you know, a college golfer and stuff. And some of it is, and, and some of it's just timing. And, and the, like you said, the logistics of the, you know, like I said, the, the being in the bigger city and having to get around and all that time starts to add up. And, and as you talked about with the fundraising, I think a lot of um, people don't realize how much that, you know, some of the coaches have to put into that and how much time that can take and just all those little yeah. things. Like I said, that's why I'm so excited to do this, to, to talk about some of those things and see that, you know, there's so much that goes on and, and the, the, you know, the commitment and the dedication on the coach's side of things and, you know, trying to juggle the, the family life and, and, you know, just trying to do it all and want to have a successful program and, and how much I think a lot of players and families don't realize the, administration school side of things and how hard that can make it and so it doesn't make it easy for coaches and just all those different pieces so really good insight from that on just how different that can be and and the balance and you know 
how different that can be at different programs and, and just different environments that make it tougher and make it easier for you as a coach, again, especially in different stages of your life where different things priority-wise start to, to come into play. Yeah, I mean, if I can make something, you know, I, I like to do a rating scale. So looking at, you know, my professional life, my personal life, you know, where, where am I in those things? What can I do? If something's a, a seven, what can I do to make it an eight? Mm -hmm. If something, you know, if I, live, I like to live in that eight, nine, and ten zone. So if time was something that was, was a lower rating, and if I could make some changes to raise that, that, that stat, made sense for me yeah that uh, totally um and it uh no i guess it's uh, no, there's like the um not necessarily the emotional bank but um there's some system or something i know I've, I've listened to a podcast talking about that of trying trying to actually put numbers to that and and where you know where you emotionally like where you store the bank money and all that kind of stuff but that's a whole other topic i'm sure um <laughs> well speaking about that with with tom and that how do you on a little bit more on the player side of things so for some of the ones who are looking to play college golf um how do you you know what do you see it takes the college the, the athletes to really be successful and and be more prepared for college golf and make that transition um what do you see with the athletes and how do you as a coach able to kind of help that, um, you know, that, like I said, that transition and, and just that, uh, that, you know, just day in and day out life of a college student athlete. Uh, the advice I would give, if you're on the fence of like, you know, do I really want to put the time? Do I want, I want to make the sacrifices in college? You know, I'm going to have to make some sacrifices now. Do I like that? If you're on the fence, don't, don't be a college athlete because you really got to be all in because of the extraordinary time demands uh, and energy that it takes um, to be successful in the classroom, to be successful on the golf course or, you know, whatever field it may be. Um, you just really got to be all in and you got to be extremely passionate about it. You know, if you're, if you're doing it for mom and dad or please somebody else, it's going to come out in college. Um, so, if you, like I said, if you're on the fence, just don't do it. Yeah, good, good point. Well, I think uh, what's exactly what you said about it. if you think of it, everything as being a sacrifice instead of the benefit of what you're getting by not being able to go, you know, do things that normal people do, and you look at it as you're missing out on something as opposed to you're gaining something. Like I said, when you get to college, it only gets tougher, um, you know, because you've got less people to tell you, you know, what to be doing and more distractions. Um, so if you felt like that in, in high school, that all those, you know, missing out on, and not just the social time, but even other activities that might have a bigger priority that may be just as important in the big scheme of things than, you know, than golf, then, you know, maybe, maybe you can still play college golf, but obviously not at a high ranked D1 program level, um, you know, mm -hmm. somewhere that, allows a little more, um, you know, a D3 school or something like that, that allows a little um, more emphasis on other priorities and academics, you know, not that, not that the top ranked D programs don't put emphasis on academics, but obviously there's a time constraint there sometimes with what else you get to do in that kind of sense, whether it's study abroad, I mean, you, part of something. Right. Right. I mean, you bring up a great point. I mean, there's, you know, we have, we have golf camp and we talk about, you know, what, the, the possibilities of psychology golf and you know I just think it's you, the young ladies are need to be really understanding of what are their goals and there are 
so many different programs out there that could actually fit someone's goal. I remember um, she, a young lady from Phoenix, she went, she was kind of a friend of our family, and she decided to go to a school in the Northeast, Division One program, but it was in a highly academic, and uh, the, the coach said the number one priority is, is academics, social, and then golf. Because these kids put so much pressure on themselves to be amazing academically in such a high pressure cooker school, um, that he understood the importance where the social life and, and golf really played to help them be great academically. And so I thought that was just great to hear. Um, you know, if, if the, the more that someone knows the priority of what's important to them and what they really want out of their college experience, there are a variety of programs that can fit that and you know I can only speak from my experience of, of you know being a D1 coach and trying to win championships where at the highest level um, but but I think that's it's, it's very if they do their homework they and know what their priorities are I think there's programs that can match up yes yes definitely and I think not getting caught up I've had some players who were pretty good players that I think everybody expects expected them to go a certain route and when they didn't people looked at it like they were settling or you know they weren't you know that, that they just you know that they could have played at a higher program and not understanding that you know where they went and what it was going to offer fit what their goals were they happened to be a really good golfer but it doesn't mean that that was you know going to be their top priority in college and seeing that kind of struggle with the players kind of getting caught up and what everybody else is going to think about their decision and, you know, just trying to make sure they do it for, for what's right for them and what's going to be happy for them and not so much what everybody expects just because they may, might be a pretty good golfer, um, but that they, um, you know, have other priorities or, or, you know, just have things that they felt were going to be a better fit at a program that wasn't as strong of a golf program, maybe. Like I so mean, it's lots something of that... out there, but we, we talked about, you know, you hear this as a, you know, a cliche, it's like, what are things you can control? And one thing on the golf course or your college decision, and it's, that's why it's so challenging for a young person to make such a mature decision. Um, but it's their first opportunity to make a really big decision and really dig deep into themselves. And one thing you cannot control are other people's opinions. Yes. And... You know, and it, at the end of the day, nobody really, you know, for, it's a topic of conversation for a couple of minutes, but other than that, it really is fleeting. And so it's, it's that person that's living the experience. They're the ones that are going through the day-to-day, -day, like, this is a great decision for me, or this, I'm, I'm weighing over my head, you know, and that's why people transfer. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's what they thought ever to make everybody else happy or make them feel elevated somehow, but if it's not the right decision, it's not gonna, it doesn't usually work out very well. Yes, that's why I think they were, um, the Coach Howland, um, UNCG and I were talking about how there's, I guess, 10,000 student athletes in the transfer portal right now across all mm -hmm. sports. And she's just saying, you know, are we doing that bad of a job of, you know, whether it's as coaches or whatever, that there's that many unhappy student athletes, or is it just that, it's just so hard to make them happy these days, but how many that there are out there that either made a wrong decision or, you know, just are never going to be happy. Obviously there's a lot of different scenarios, but I know she was surprised at how many 
student athletes or physically is right now that want to train that are not quote unquote happy apparently. Well, I mean, there's two sides of the story there, you know, it used to be when, you know, my parents had, you know, every, every couple has challenges and they never got divorced. But as time went on, divorce became easier and more accessible, more accepted. That's what's happening. I think with the transfer portal is that, They've made it a lot easier for the kids to put their name up there and almost not even have a conversation with the coach yes. Um, yes. if they're going to transfer. So, you know, that, that part of digging in, thinking out another year, learning a little bit more about yourself. I mean, there's always two sides to it. So the transfer yes. portal, I think, is, is good in some ways. But I think it's not good in some ways. I totally agree. I think it's like you said, yeah, it's just, it's a kind of became a little bit of a necessary evil, I think, of taking some of the behind the scenes, you know, kind of sometimes shady things that would go on with players wanting to transfer and the coaches trying to figure it out. Not always just shady, but just how hard it was when a coach got left to dry. Yeah. And needed, you know, needed a player because they got left to dry out, you know, left out, you know, with the spot open and they couldn't find the player. So it helped the coaches, but it also, makes it so easy that if you're just slightly unhappy you can just say hey I'm I'm out you know and it was yeah I know through my day you didn't hear people transferring like it was a very Mm -hmm. very rare thing back in my college days for somebody to transfer it was actually pretty extenuating or you know pretty um uh, you know legitimate circumstances if somebody was going to change um and transfer Uh, so So like I said there's good things and there's not good things but you know from yes so I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get you. That can open a whole can of worms, I'm sure, on both sides. Dealing deal as much as I have on both sides of the equation, I can see where it that can, can go both ways. Um, well, tell me, i um, got a couple more things, and we'll kind of wrap this up. Um, but what – we kind of hit on it a little bit, but what's been some of the – one of the most challenging things that you've kind of seen from – with a – you know, over your coaching career? Is there one thing that stands out or – just something uh, so I know we touched on it a little bit but I had I asked some people you know to um, share some of the things they wanted to hear and one of the things I wanted to hear was what is some of the most challenging things that you see um, or that you've been through as a coach I think that no matter what age you are or what where, where you are in your career or, or your college career or your professional career is distractions managing distractions and I think that um, the telephone has so many great things, and yet it's extremely distracting. It's distracting to me as well. And so, you know, we, <laughs> it's phenomenal how much time we spent talking about oh, managing our phones this year. I'm sure. And, you know, and trying to find that happy medium where, you know, it's like now it's, I, I kind of looked at it like someone that, drinks coffee or has diet cokes every day it's like it's like self-medication and you take it away and you don't perform as well um whereas you know you go cold turkey on the phone when someone's so used to it especially have you know the phone is is connected constantly with your peers your friends your family whereas that's that's just really changed where you know you're uh I mean, even though my mom was my college coach, I mean, I lived on campus and I saw her at practice, but I didn't really call her every day. Um, my teammates didn't call their parents. They called them once a week. Um, so that's really changed. 
And, you know, change is going to happen. I mean, change can be a very good thing, um, but I think you have to have new thinking about it. You have got to have, like, skills and tools to, to work with it. And, you know, change is going to happen. Um, and so just managing the change. And I think that, uh, to me, that's kind of been one of the biggest things, is, like, really how to, how to manage those distractions. Yeah. That, yeah, it, it, we definitely live in a world of being very easily distracted and, and always, you know, being, you know, having something to, you know, to, to do or to, you know, something in your hand. It's just such a much faster paced kind of thing that, yeah, I could see, like I said, that, that management of it, because you, like you said, you don't want to just totally take it away because then you lose, yeah. uh, you almost lose your mind. Your way, yeah. I mean, our minds get wired to it. I mean, it's like it's it's a it's an emotional need. It's a it's a reactionary. There's all kinds of studies on it, and um, the, you know, the, the, our players know it's a distraction. And yeah. you know, we just have to put you know strategies in place to, that that they have to commit to. So I, when it comes to things like that, I like to give our players a, a voice in how they want to manage things. I mean, there's been times in my career I've liked to put the foot down and. Like you can't do this. You can't have phones here and there. And I just find it's a much better environment when our players actually have a voice and say, you know, what the parameters are. What it usually turns out to be a lot. They are actually tougher than I would be. So um, I love hearing from my players and, and coming to a, a conclusion or an agreement, a discussion as to how do we want to manage those distractions. Yeah, I like that. I know that if um, if they say it, and as I said, a lot of, especially when you get really good kids who all have the same goals, like you said, they probably would put much tougher restrictions on themselves. And then when they're the ones that do it, then you can always, you always get to use that as, you know, they're the ones that came up with it and, and it makes it a little easier to implement um, when they're the ones that said it's what they wanted to do. Um, so I, yeah. I, I do like that. And I know that's something that probably a lot of players looking at, you know, playing in college is trying to find, again, that balance because I know some coaches aren't that way. They lay out the, the rules and this is how it's going to be and there's no, you know, and that's it, just some coaching styles. And then there's some that are so hands-off that you don't get any of the structure and discipline and figuring out where mm -hmm. you fit into that is such a key piece for those, um, you know, aspiring college golfers for sure. Well, let's kind of lighten it up just a little bit. And I know this is <laughs> asking all the coaches what's one of the funniest things that has happened um over your time or I've had I, know, I think it was with, um, coach Hester and, and I think maybe he remembers coach Hall but talked about their April Fools is always a fun thing but is there one event that stands out as one of the funniest things that's happened in your career or something that is a yearly thing what's something um kind of the funniest thing that's happened through your uh your college time well I think that um when I came to to Auburn and getting to know Andrew Pratt, um, my associate head coach, mm -hmm. um, our very first tournament uh, was at Yeamans Hall, and it's such a cool place. Mm -hmm. um, there's all the players stay in these houses on property, and they're older, and they've got creaky wood floors and screen doors, and you know, it's super dark at night. They're you know surrounded by the golf course, and it's, it's just so cool. And we, uh, Andrew brought a screen mask <laughs> and we snuck up and we're like, you know, scratched on the windows and totally scaring the girls oh, and 
screaming and laughing and, and running and laughing and, you know, just like they weren't quite, didn't know my personality. And then, yeah. of course, Andrew and I just clicked so well and both have a great sense of humor. And, um, and then they'd play tricks on us and, you know, just having a lot of fun, uh, you know, when you're in this big, very serious environment. I mean, you know what? We're trying to be great. But it's still college golf. You're a team. It's a great time of your life. Yes, it's a road to play at the next level. But even at the next level, you better have some fun too. And I think that's what college golf and camaraderie and those those memories. Um, I mean, I remember when I was at ASU, I took the. I love I love team building, and I always challenged to come up with new team building ideas, and I took them. Uh, I just this outfit from outside and we did a, a camp an overnight camping trip slash challenge and I wasn't quite sure what to expect and I mean those girls you know come back for a reunion they're all going to talk about that camping trip and how it was so cold and how they had to determine what they could leave behind and you know they had one backpack per per group and what what was their necessities and one girl was like addicted to that Pepsi and she and her teammates hauled in a, a 12 pack of Diet Pepsi. Oh, and that certainly was not a, ne a necessity, but they laugh about it now. It snowed that night in Arizona. I mean, it was like the, the campfire. I mean, you just, you, you just can't read. I mean, that was just a, one of those times that like, they'll always talk about it. They yeah. might've won 16 tournaments in a year. And they're always going to talk about those times that had, probably end up into a golf. Yes, very, very true. Yeah, I know the, like I said, the, that team atmosphere and, and those kind of fun things and things that stand out um, always come to mind a little bit more than uh, the good and the bad parts of the golf part of college or even out on tour, like you said. Um, so that's that's cool. But like I said, I definitely like hearing all the different fun stories and um, just like I said, some of it, some with coaches who have a tradition of doing things and um, others are that one one thing that stands out. So that's uh, that's fun. Well, one more um, just normal question, and then I like to ask every coach one at the very end. But just um, again, kind of hit on this a little bit. But what are some of the traits of? I, you've had some really successful, obviously, individual players. Once you've gone on to play professionally, obviously, once you've gone on to have very successful non golf careers. Um, but what do you see from? Um, I mean, a little bit of a combo of both. What does it take to be a successful college athlete, but then just also just to kind of survive college life and, and get through it and just manage the day in and day out? What do you see are some of the kind of traits and characteristics of ones who really seem to, to get that? Uh, I can use the traits of my current team right now because um, in our culture, it's all based on excellence and giving your, your, your best um, at all times, being competitive, being passionate. Um, number one is, is character. If you make the right decisions, um, treat others with respect and kindness, um, that goes a long way in a team setting. And you know, it's, it's very high on my, on my priority list of what I'm looking for. Um, passion. For the game, passion for, which means you want to continue learning and you want to continue getting better. 
and that takes time and dedication and to be coachable. Um, that's, those, those are the qualities that I'm seeing in the team that I have now and that we've, we've built towards. Um, you know, it, it's just extraordinary with this group. And so those are some, you know, we just, Andrew and I set out and said, what are, the, what are, our, what are our top qualities that, that are important to us um, to build the culture and the program that we want to build? So we make decisions based on that. We make decisions based on our values um, and, you know, have players that make decisions based on if their values and our values match up um, and their passions match up. It's not good when a coach wants it more than the players. And so we have to find the players that want it as much as we do. That's true. Very yes. I could I could uh can only imagine, yeah, the the other the other way around and the frustration and trying to, you know, you just can't, even though they're still young and still learning and developing, there is a point I think where you just cannot make somebody else want it unless you know you just, you can't create that in somebody else if they don't already have it. Again, even at that age of only being, you know, 18, 19, when they're coming into college, you think you're still young, you can get that. But more and more, I've been around that. And I see that it's just not something that really gets developed, uh, maybe developed, but doesn't get created and doesn't just all of a sudden appear if it's not already there by that point, it seems like. Back to one of my earlier comments, if you're on the fence, and you're not willing to put in the, you know, you're not 100% in, don't be a college athlete. And if you're not playing for yourself, don't be a college athlete. Because it, it, it shows up. Definitely, yes. Yes, very, very true. Um, well, I know you actually had a good, well, a good example of that from my experience with her when you first, I guess it was her senior year when Kelly Murphy, were you there when she was there? Yeah. Yeah, okay. she was yeah. a... Uh, okay, I couldn't remember. I knew Kelly from the time she was in eighth grade and seemed to be a lot of yeah. what you just said, seemed to possess all of that from day one of ever meeting her, was such a good example of college student athlete and, and so much of these things. Um, she just comes to mind when you say that, even if she had not been playing for you, she always seemed to represent so much of that. So, enjoy following Absolutely. I mean, non golf career. You know, it, I mean, I was very happy to, to um, inherit her because she understood what I was asking for, and yeah. she had all those qualities. And so she, you know, those players that I inherited, those those players helped me. Yeah, that makes sense. That's kind the last couple of years, but they were the beginnings of saying, you know what, we're we're gonna buy in. We're, this is we, we get it and. You know, there's some changes here and there, but um, an adjustment of how things were done before and how things are done now and just different philosophies. Um, you know, it, it, it's, those players had just as much to do with our success today as, as, as when that came in day one. Yeah. Okay. Good, good. I'm sure that made that transition a little bit easier for you then. That's good. All right. Well, this is the one thing that I ask everybody um, because this podcast is called Tap Into College Golf. And I just like to find out, you know, we, you could even take it back to you may have had a scenario with a player um, just the other week at Nationals of, you know, they've got that three foot putt on the last hole to win a big event. 
um, and you're, you know, there with them as the coach, whether you're, you know, just walking up to them on the green or maybe helping them read it, whatever it might be, what do you tell a player in that situation, um, you know, that's got that putt to win a big event? What do you, you know, what's your advice to them um, in that situation? Well, I guess just what comes to mind is I watched the last few holes with Michael Berry when she flipped her match from being three down after 12 holes. Um, you know, I just, and I hadn't really had, I hadn't walked with Michael a lot most of the year. Um, it just, it felt like it's a, it was the right thing to do. She needed some support. She needed to, you know, like, like, look, you know, I just kept telling her, like, look how, you know, you're getting great shots and you can do this. You, you know, you're a grinder, you're a fighter, just reminding her of all of her good qualities. And then obviously, well, not obviously, but making her laugh. Um, that, you know, just to loosen her up just a little bit and, uh, you know, get in between shots, just getting her distracted from the whole thing and, and laughing. And, uh, you know, she, she, she's cracking up. And I was happy to be able to provide some of that comic relief that I felt like she needed at that time. Um, and not every player would react like that, you know. So yeah. you just have to understand what, what makes – what helps each player be their best. And you know, she had to make um, a very difficult up and down the 18th hole to even have a chance to um, maybe go extra holes. And she and Coach Brad have been having these, these chipping competitions. And I said, you know what? I said, Mikey, I said, you've been, you've been beating Coach Pratt the last couple, couple times out. I said, you just, just go get this up and down like you were playing against Coach Pratt. And so just, like reminded her of so many great shots that she's been hitting and like that was her focus was like I'm going to beat Coach Pratt and not that it was the NCAA championship and not like the, the big thing you know it's like we really just focus on if you just do what you do you don't have to do anything special you just do what you do every day and it's and it's good it's going to be good enough and she just she's been chipping great and she made a great up and down, and the other young lady three-putted, and she won the match. Very nice. That um, that's it's like you said. I, uh, I get that you get the reference quite a bit. So you had a really good specific one to to bring to her of taking it back to your day in and day out practice. And when you can have that mm -hmm. environment during practice, it gives you something to go back to, especially something that specific with Coach Pratt, with Coach Pratt, and having those competitions. Um, that's what you prepare for. That's why you, you know, you make practice so much more, um, you know, pressure filled and, and competitive during practice. I think that's the biggest thing a lot of junior golfers yeah. don't get that you get in college when you have people to play with every day who are at your level and can push and, you know, push you and you have a coach that can do that, that you get that environment. I feel like sometimes I tell that to the junior players and they, they just don't quite understand what that means until they get to college of, Oh, this is what it means to like grind during practice. Mm -hmm. compete during practice. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I don't think many high school junior golfers have a clue as to how much practice we actually do. Um, how much, you know, how many days out of the week, uh, juggling their, your schoolwork and, and being competitive, having to come to practice and be competitive, competitive yeah. every day. You know, it's not just like going through the motions or doing your drills. It's about being competitive. And if you're not competitive during practice, I don't think you can be very competitive and, you know, when the, when the flag goes up. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just not even the same setting. Everybody talks about it. it's one of the only sports that you just play, you practice on a totally different environment than you play in. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, for practice, practice facilities, practice driving ranges, I mean, they just, I mean, we really got it mixed up in golf. It's been a hot yes. topic for many years, but, you know, yeah. so we just try to take that. I mean, we, you know, struggle with uneven lines, so we put a hump in the middle of our driving range so we can practice uneven lines. You know, yes. instead of hitting from a perfectly flat surface, I mean, duh. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. But it's things that yeah. people don't think about that. Don't think about that. Yes, yes, that's what I love. Vision fifty four was always great. I learned that towards the end of my golf career, and it was it was just mm-hmm. this like aha moment of wow, like that's a really good point that like you know you don't practice in an environment at all that you that you play in and if you don't create that then you're only you're you know you're only getting so much good you can practice six hours a day but yet if you had a really good practice for an hour you can get a lot more out of that than you can six hours of just doing it you know just because and that you're supposed to be and that's what we have to do that's what we have to do is at the NCAA level with the maximum allowed of 20 hours a week I mean we have to make our time count yes and you know, the, the, are the days of being at your golf course all day, every day, you know, hour and hour and hour and hour on end, is that really the best way to get better? I think you have to have a little bit of that, but it's definitely a mixture. Yes. So, you know, it's, it's, so we, I mean, it's our goal is to make practice harder than actual play. And that, you got to be able to bring it mentally every day. I mean, we, we've had tears in, in practice. Uh, yeah, so just, I, I can imagine. Just challenges. It's like it's just so hard, but we feel like at the end of the day that it it, it helps. I definitely agree. I know my Mick down at Alabama. I was talking to him. Sort of, I don't know. I think he actually said in an interview. He said that as well. You know, making practice harder than then you play so that when you play, you actually feel like it's easy. And like I said, I think that's a concept mm-hmm. a lot of people just don't even comprehend um and don't get and you know a lot of times players will ask well, how, how much should I practice during the week and I'm always saying you know well that's so relative that you could practice all you want to but if it's not quality then it's not going to matter and it's you know you're only going to get so much better if you're not doing it in the, the environment that's going to help you get better um and I, said, and, and I do think that, ha- time, that yeah. having call having having college coaches that are setting these things up yes. that you don't really kind of have a choice like this is what you're going to do yeah that really helps. That are going to challenge them at a different level and, and actually be disciplined to hold yourself accountable enough. It's always easier when you have someone else holding you accountable. And so I think that's probably the biggest change from junior golf to, to college golf is that you've got coaches that are holding you accountable. And it's not just your parents that are doing it, which obviously we know there's a little resistance there when it's the, the parents, you know, holding the players accountable up to that point. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody that they, that they're playing, right. they have a little different um, relationship with that holds them accountable. And it's not just mom or dad that's doing it a lot of times. You know, and mom and dad are doing a great job of holding them accountable, teach them lessons of how to hold yourself accountable. Yes. So, I mean, the parents are just trying to be parents and, and, and help them understand, like, you know, sometimes parents need to be pushy, you know, to, mm-hmm. and so I'm not, I'm not opposed to that at all. It's just, you know, trying to teach those life lessons and that's, we're trying to do the same thing. Exactly. Very good. Very good. 
Well, is there anything, um, you know, I know we've covered a good bit and, and hopefully um, you've given you a chance to share a lot, like I said, about your college, um, a little bit of your college time, but your journey into getting into being a college coach and, and just what you've seen as a college coach. Anything that maybe didn't talk about that you want to share with, like I said, there's junior golfers, parents, uh, other college coaches that are listening. I've had a lot of college coaches actually talk, tell me about listening in, um, instructors, anything out there that comes to mind that maybe we didn't talk about that you want to share? I, I guess just one underlying theme that, I mean, me as a player, I was always trying to get better. Me as a professional athlete, I was always trying to get better. Me as a coach, no matter what my team was ranked, if it was ranked number one or ranked number 45 or ranked number 65, all places that I've been as a coach, I'm just trying to get better. And that, that's really, that just seems to be the underlying theme. It's like, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're just, if you're trying to get better, then that's a great goal. Definitely, yes. I can can appreciate that at, at this point in my life with stuff that um, I, I always hashtag a lot, get better. Because um, I saying yes, whatever you're doing, you're just trying to get better. I mean, it just keeps it exciting. I think there's a point to just sitting back and, and being comfortable for a little while and enjoying it. But then you got to, you know, you got to realize you can't do that for too long. And, and you got to, you know, kick yourself into either something totally different or you know, figure out some way to kind of challenge yourself or, you know, keep, I said, just always trying to keep getting better. Love that. I think that's why I don't really play a lot of golf anymore. Because it's yeah, same. Get better. <laughs> I, <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> I'm the same way. We've got. Um, I didn't play competitively at all after 2010 season for me, and South Carolina Women's Open came up last year, and I was like, "All right, this will be good." So just kind of put my game back, see what I can do, practice. My I've got a much better work ethic, and I played, and it was great. But then as soon as it was over, I was like, "Okay, well, I don't have anything to play in now," and you know. I haven't really played much since then and was going to do U.S. Open qualifier. I was like, I can't, you know, it's just, that's the thing. Like if you don't have the time and the energy to put into it to get better, I just feel like not that it's a waste, but I just, if I can't you know, do something and know that I'm getting better, it's just hard to, these days hard to just do it. If I, you can't. I concur. Um, oh yeah. I, I can understand that. Yes. Yes. Well, I've got that coming up again at the end of August. And my family's already like, are you playing? Do we plan a trip around? Do you go around? So, uh, <laughs> And there's a part of me that's almost been like, you know what, honestly, like, I feel like if I'm going to do it, I've got to put effort into doing it. And I got so much going on with business. I'm like, I don't want to do it if I can't work at it, but I don't know that I can work at it. So, um, if it, totally if, if it's an eight, nine, again, if it's an eight, nine or 10 and it requires a little, some wind sprints or some low stats to get there, then yeah, and it's going to make it an eight, nine or 10, then I think it's a good thing. But if sure. it's a five or six for you, don't do it. Yep, that's very good. Very good point. Yes, I've kind of been battling that, talking to my dad this past week about whether I'm going to play or not. I've kind of battled back and forth about the the focus and the time and, and all that kind of stuff for it. So good, uh, good advice there. Well, I really appreciate you joining. Um, really enjoyed learning. I know we've kind of connected off and on, but never really had a chance to just talk. So really excited to, um, to be able to catch up with you and learn a little bit more just about what got you here and in your playing background and just the advice and the insight for the ones listening out there. I really enjoyed doing these podcasts and, and it's just it's been fun for me to, I said, to learn a little bit more about the coaches and get a little more on the inside of what really goes on in college golf and what goes on in the college coach's life that I think a lot of us don't don't see I know the players and parents going through the process and even just the college athletes mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like don't quite understand that um, you know, we were talking about this right before we got on that, you know, 
you as coaches are, are humans and you have a life and you have feelings and you, ha you know, you, you know, that, that there's nothing necessarily to be feared in a way, but to be totally respected. And just to kind of share that a little bit, is what I've enjoyed hearing about and really appreciate you joining me. Um, and I, I said, really enjoyed hearing about uh, just your life and, and everything. So thank you for joining. Um, well, Brandy, thank you so much. And I've, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. And I think what you do um, is to try to give an insight into college golf and into coaches and, you know, as the recruiting rules changing, um, a little bit more difficult to develop those relationships early on that at least maybe these podcasts can help the, the prospects like listen to what different coaches say and kind of what their beliefs are and, and values are and, and and hopefully just give a different perspective. So I appreciate you doing what you're doing. Well, thank you. I'm extremely lucky and fortunate to have this opportunity to do what I do and, and uh, the respect for you all and all that you do and, and just thankful and, and grateful for the opportunities that I, that I get to, um, to pick your brains and, and learn a little bit more. So again, thanks for joining and thanks to everybody who joined in and listened and hope that everybody got some good insights and um, you know, learned a little bit about you know, the Auburn program and Coach Llewellyn and in her journey and hope that you will join me on the next episode. And parting words, War Eagle. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Tap Into College Golf. For more information, you can visit www.brandyjacksongolf.com. That's Brandy with an I. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at B Jackson Goff. See you next time.